Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sarah. And I'm Beth. We are lawyers, mothers, and hosts of the bipartisan podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Just as we differ in political philosophy, we've arranged our lives in very different ways, from our careers to where we live to our choices around marriage and family. But we have more in common than divides us. In a world that increasingly defaults to false dichotomies, we explore the messiness of living wisely. Choices, trade-offs, priorities, and grace of living a nuanced life. Welcome to another episode of The Nuanced Life. We are going to do lots and lots of listener feedback today because you all have some crazy insightful things to share. And then for our main discussion, we're going to talk about Sarah's Lenten practice of giving up Facebook and also our personal experiences with social media and how we're feeling about it in light of all the news. And we'll end, as we always do, with something inspirational to take you into the rest of your week. So a lot of you had really good ideas about what to do with parties where you don't want presents, including some ideas about weddings. So many, many people said donations is a really good way to do it because then people can still bring something, which I think is genius because people want to bring. There are some people who are just, they want to bring. So channeling that towards donations for your community is a really good way to channel their need to bring. I thought that was a good idea. It is a good idea. I do want to share my personal experience with my daughter, Jane. For her sixth birthday, I believe, we ask people, instead of bringing gifts, to bring a donation for Catholic Charities, which is an organization that a friend of mine serves as the executive director for. And we ask them to bring toys for the toy room at Catholic Charities, where families were being reunited after the children had been in foster care. It's a really wonderful mission. The way they go about it is fantastic. And I thought, okay, this lets people go ahead and buy toys. Like there are a lot of boxes that gets checked, right? They get to bring something, they get to bring a toy. And then Jane and I took all the toys over to Catholic Charities, and they were very generous with their time and gave Jane a tour of the room and explained to her exactly how those donations were going to be used. So it was a really cool learning experience for her. However, all of our guests brought a donation for Catholic Charities as well as a gift for Jane. Oh, no. (laughs) So it didn't really work out as I planned. It was still a great learning experience. We still did some good in the world. But people do have this strong driving force, I think especially around kids. It's just really hard to accept that kids aren't going to get presents for some reason because it's so entrenched in all of us. So just, you know, be warned. If you try that and it doesn't work out exactly like you planned, you're not alone. So our new best friend, Eliza, emailed us this amazing story about her own wedding, which she called 
family marriage inauguration. Like they had a marriage at the count at the courthouse, and then they had a big party, which I think is so great. But I love the family marriage inauguration. She didn't want to wear a dress, so they did a Habitat for Humanity build, and she wore white overalls, which we will share her amazing photo in our Instagram with her permission. Some of her sister-in-laws braided each other hair instead of their getting hair done. But what I really like this is she had everyone contribute to a time capsule. And I should have thought about this because I did this for Amos's first birthday. And I don't remember getting a lot of toys. I think it worked pretty well. Everyone brought something for when he turns 18, he gets a time capsule. So people brought CDs or a couple of my family brought like special coins that they'd gotten. People wrote letters to him. I I mean, I can't wait till he gets it. So a time capsule's are an excellent idea. I forgot another idea that I wanted to share for first birthdays. For Griffin's first birthday, we did bring your favorite toy from childhood. Like, don't worry about age restrictions. Just bring your favorite thing to play with when you were a child. And that worked out beautifully because otherwise, like, the first birthday is sort of the best attended and you get an massive influx of like toys they're going to grow out of in six to 12 months. So this way we got like, it was awesome. So many things that I, full disclosure, wrapped up several Christmases in a row and gave it to him for Christmas. So he got like Tinker Toys and different sort of blocks and Lincoln Logs and all these different things that I don't know if I would have ever bought him, but that are some of his favorite toys. So that worked out really well as well. That's a really good idea. I also don't want to pass over the braiding hair part of this. Mm. I think there is something so beautiful about that and about having this kind of communal experience instead of the let's all go to a salon and stare at each other while someone does our hair in a way that we maybe like. I don't know. I I thought that that was a super beautiful way of framing up your wedding. We also wanted to say we got we have gotten several pieces of feedback about HGTV. Y'all, we're going to do an HGTV episode hopefully next week should something else in our conversation come up indeed attention but the plan is to do the hgtv episode next week we're going to talk about how it's been an influence in our life how we're all feeling about our homes there's lots of great feedback so we will be covering that soon wanted to mention a piece of feedback that we got about our conversation with seasonal sarah last time and i think that there was a lot of appreciation even in this message for everything that sarah described and explained there was a sense that this is a lot And that it can sound a little bit judgmental in the description when you have really embraced this kind of lifestyle and then reflect on the strawberries available at the grocery store, as an example. And I really understand that. And I think that this is another example of how difficult it is to hold space for the idea that people can wholeheartedly embrace something that is not your thing without judging everyone else. And even if there is some judgment, because sometimes there is, look, can we just be super honest? As a matter of policy and life, I think that you feed your baby however you want to feed your baby. Do I sometimes feel myself inching towards judgment of especially people who tell you that they that you cannot breastfeed if it's hard? Yes, I do. Now, I don't know whether that judgment comes up for me because I need it to fuel my commitment to that very difficult thing. I don't know what it is in my brain, but it comes up in my brain and I go, Beth, you're being judgy. Stop. And I try to shut it down. So I think it's true sometimes that we have a little bit of judgment creeping up for a whole bunch of reasons. 
But overall, the spiritual exercise for all of us is to let go of being judgmental and let go of feeling judged. That's my perspective. So I think that for me, what I've realized is, look, I wrote a blog post a long time ago in praise of judgment and unsolicited advice, which is sort of what everyone loves as a parent, but I don't because I'm just trying to figure this out and I like data and information. So every time somebody shares with me, that didn't work for me, here's why. That's just more information for me. So I'm not super offended by it. If it doesn't work for me, it doesn't work for me. And I do think that there is value in thinking through, even discussing and working out as a culture, certain parenting, maybe not philosophies, ideas, approaches, I've said on this podcast, as a person who has spanked my children in the past, that I would like for us as a culture to be like, no, we're not going to spank anymore. No one spank ever. Like, I think that's a place we should exercise some cultural judgment as uh, parents or parenting culture, right? What I've realized I do, though, I don't stop there, right? I think it's one thing to just sort of ask, assess and analyze choices other people have made as they would relate to your life. Would that work for me? Would that not? That seemed to work well for them. You know, when my friend was like, this is what I always I often say, my best friend Elizabeth had a child after we graduated from college and that he was like all of our parenting experiment. So like he sort of, she, she worked out all the things that didn't work on him. So we didn't have to do them. And I think there's value in that. What I realize, though, is that I do this and I respond to it very negatively when other people do it, is I put moral value on those judgments. And I think that's the difference. Like, no one's saying, like, I don't think there's anything wrong to looking at our conversation with Sarah and saying, okay, I'm hearing her say that her family is healthier because she grows her own food. I wish I could grow my own food, but for X, Y, Z, I can't. That's done. The, the, where we go astray is, and she thinks I'm a bad person, and I think she's a bitch for saying that. Like, that's the problem, right? We just we bring in all this moral judgment as opposed to just, like, assessing what's happening in a very detached way, which I know is difficult because there's such high-stakes conversations and there's so many emotions involved with us and how we parent and how we feed our kids. But, you know, I don't want to go the other way in which we don't ever say, that worked really well for her. Should I try that on? You know what I mean? Yes, I like all of that information, too. I think what I mean by the spiritual exercise is that it is hard to Mm -hmm. shut down the part of your brain that builds that little shortcut of, well, if this has worked so well for her and she's sharing it, and I cannot or choose not to make that part of my life, because some of this is about prioritization, and a lot of us are going to choose. We're Just let's be really honest about it. We're going to say, I choose not to make that a priority. And that's okay. That, that is doesn't make okay. you a bad person. But, Dang. but then we have to hear that little shortcut in our brain turning on that says, but she says that's right, which must mean I'm wrong. We just yeah. have to know that that's going to happen. And that's not about her. That is about us and about what's happening in our own brains. And when we express things that work really well for us and we express them with enthusiasm and with the belief that other people's lives could be better if they embraced what we embraced – Yeah, there probably is some judgment going on in the back of our brains because, again, our brains are doing a little shortcut that says this is the right way. And sometimes it might even be the right way, right? Mm -hmm. You might be able to objectively say, like I think most of us would say objectively, a carrot grown in our backyard is probably going to be more nutritious than a carrot grown somewhere across the world that gets transported to us in a series of days, 
and that has been altered in a series of ways to make that carrot still something resembling fresh by the time we get it. I think that's just objectively true. That doesn't mean that anybody thinks you're a bad person if you still choose to purchase the carrot. I do. We recorded with Sarah the next morning. I had strawberries at breakfast from Kroger, you know, like we all can make our own choices. I think it's just about trying to witness what is going on in the mental backdrop for everybody and let some of that go and not be offended by it. Because I think that moral judgment where you go, I'm right, and you get defensive is just... It's sort of like, not to be hyperbolic, the death of all sort of self-awareness and self-growth. If you are constantly defensive of your parenting decisions, then I struggle with how you could be sort of improving as a parent. Like, in order to desire to improve, don't you have to admit you've screwed some things up? I know now, as I look back and sort of honestly assessed myself, I pushed myself too hard, particularly with my second son, And that is why I was unable to breastfeed for as long as I would have liked to. That was a, I made a choice. I think I even knew at the time, you're pushing yourself too far. This is why you can't do this. Even though I'm a person who believes in breastfeeding, who thinks breastfeeding is best. Like, but I, for any manner of behavioral, psychological, spiritual reasons, decided that I wanted to be busy, that I wanted to work, that I wanted to do more things with all of my children as a whole than I wanted to I wanted to sleep at night so that I could get him sleeping at night. That messed with my breastfeeding. Like, all these different things. Like, that's okay. Like, it doesn't mean I don't love him. It just means I made some choices that I, I deprioritize something I know to be healthier for him. And so that I can think with Felix, with my next kid, or in other ways when I know something is best for my kids, am I doing this again? Am I pushing myself hard because it makes me feel busy and it makes me feel important at the cost of what I think might be best for them? Or is it best for them that I feel that I do these things that are more higher priorities to me and overall it comes out in the wash because I'm a happier, healthier mom? You know what I mean? Like I just think that you have to do that sort of honest self-assessment and if you're always in defensive posture that everything you've done is the best possible choice you could have made, like you're doing the best you can, absolutely, absolutely. But like some sort of just deep breath, well, I screwed that up. That's okay. I'm still a good mom. I still love my kids. What can I do different next time seems to be really important to just self-growth and self-improvement. We just don't build in a whole lot of space for error in our lives generally. Yeah. It's why I'm late everywhere I go. (laughs) I'm teaching an online leadership class right now, which is so much fun. I have such an amazing group of people who are a part of it. And one of the things that came up this week was that some of us are reluctant to make decisions because we worry about making the wrong decisions. Mm -hmm. And I said, what you need to just know is that you will make the wrong decisions. Just start off knowing I am definitely going to make some bad decisions. And then strive for fast and cheap failure. You know, can Mm -hmm. I make bad decisions in context that can be quickly mitigated and move on? And I think with parents, that's parenting, that's the goal, too. We are definitely going to be screwing up. We are all definitely damaging our children in one way or another. (laughs) And the goal is to do the best that we can and hopefully have fast and cheap failures with it. You know, things that we can remedy quickly and move on and that don't have too detrimental lifelong consequences. And, you know, another thing that's occurring to me as we're having this discussion is that as we do, we've taken this conversation way beyond the piece of feedback that prompted it. I am aware that the person who sent us this email might be feeling like, whoa, guys, like you're putting words in my mouth. (laughs) And I can say 
we are, right? I can say we have taken this beyond what the listener brought in because I have that context in my mind. That is not always true for us when we are out in the world operating and especially when we're conveying a message to a large group of people about something that we really believe in. And so I think that it's unrealistic also for us to expect everyone to constantly be able to articulate all the reasons that they understand where you're coming from. I think about that on social media all the time. Someone says, the sky is a brilliant shade of blue today. And they get 50 replies saying, what a privileged thing to say, (laughs) you know, and for whatever reason, we, we just can't be speaking to each other with all of these assumptions and needs constantly bound up. So this is where I think just a little bit of grace does us a lot of good. Well, speaking of grace and social media, next up, we're going to talk about Facebook, whether you should delete it and what we've decided to do in our own personal lives. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sarah, I understand that you have observed Lent this year in part through not being on Facebook as a personal human being. I say that, I make that qualification because I know that you have still dutifully attended to our podcast accounts, which I appreciate very much. Yes, I gave up all social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm too old for Snapchat. Then I used our our podcast accounts. I put through a program called Hootsuite so that I can see the mentions and reply, but do not go to the pages themselves and cannot check, like, the larger feed moment trending situation. And I got to tell you, as I've been telling everyone, I'm living my best life off social media. I had so much anxiety the first like, as I led up to it, I kept saying, I think I'm going to do it. I think, but like, I wouldn't, I wasn't committing. I wasn't putting it out there. I was like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do it. I had not really decided until the night before Valentine's Day. And then I thought, no, I am going to do this. And I think I was so fearful because I've tried to do this in a lot of different ways over the past year. I would say like a year, a year and a half ago. I read a really great book called Deep Work by Cal Newport, and I started listening to a podcast called Delta Self that really examined sort of technology's role in our lives and effect on our focus and all these things and started to really look at my own social media usage. So I did things. I deleted both apps from my phone and would only check them in the browser. I played around with a lot of different ways to take days off or only check Facebook and Twitter during certain times of days. None of those sort of attempts at moderation ever really worked well. And I think because I had so much, like, that that was so hard, I thought, well, if only checking it a couple times a day was hard, giving it up altogether is going to be impossible. And I, all my friends and family were like, I think that's great. Like, sort of, aff- I was sort of offended by people's reaction that was like, oh, that'd be great for you. And I'm like, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> what do you think would be great for me? You guys are on your phones just as much. But 
So I did. I, I was anxious the first night, but then like once I did it, I was really surprised by how little I thought about it. There are still I'll take pictures or my kids will do something cute and I'll want to be like, oh, I want to post that. I've had several friends that have said, like, we miss you. My husband, who is way more into social media than he wants to admit to himself, will say, oh, do you see this? Oh, you're not on Facebook. Oh, do you see so-and-so posted? Did you see so-and-so's post? Oh, you're not on Facebook. Like, And there's a lot of in conversation where I'll say, no, I don't know what you're talking about because I'm not on Facebook. But it, it has not been as difficult as I thought it would be, honestly. Now, the way that I think about Facebook has changed a lot over the past year, even. I realize I'm there for it now because of On This Day. I keep Facebook because of On This Day, because it has become, and I'm motivated to post pictures for that same reason. I think mm-hmm. I want two years from now to see this memory. Yeah, my On This Day next year is going to be so sad. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that's really. That's really why I'm still there, because I do not enjoy scrolling the feed anymore. I feel about Facebook the way that I feel about American Idol. There's not really anything wrong with it. I enjoyed it for a time, but I, like, had my time with it, and I'm over it. It's that one little piece that keeps me hooked in. But it's such a part of our lives, even if you scale back your participation, you know? Yes, it is. It is. And I have moments when I'm talking to people and they say, did you see so-and-so posted? And I didn't, even though I'm on it, because I just don't consume it as much as I used to. It really now is for me just to share pictures that I want to see later. Well, what about Twitter? Twitter is a different story. I value the information that I get on Twitter. I've curated my feeds so that I follow the people I want to follow. I get a lot of my news, not that I get the news itself from Twitter, but that I find the links that I want to follow on Twitter. I really value the level of conversation that I have with people on Twitter. I don't know why it is that I'm more attracted to Twitter as a forum for discussion than Facebook. I just get lost in Facebook. I feel like Facebook gets silly really fast. I love Twitter's limitation of characters, even when... Uh, It goes into threads. I don't know. But that forum enhances my life more than Facebook. If I had to get rid of one of them, it would be so easy for me to decide which one. It would hands down be Facebook. What I found not being on either is that the way I consume content is so very different. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when I canceled cable. So my husband lost his job in 2011 and we canceled cable. and We have not had cable since that day. And we have a Roku box with Netflix and Amazon and Hulu, et cetera, HBO. But we don't have cable. And so what to sit down, I can't just sit down and turn on the TV. You know, pre-2011, I would have a DVR list full of shows. I watched a truly ungodly amount of reality television. I would watch four to five hours of television a night. And I'd have all my shows that I followed. And, or I would just turn it on HGTV. I would turn it on VH1 back in the day when you could watch I Love the 70s for hours at a time. Or I would watch – I had my channels, right, that I could go to, and that would be mindless entertainment. Or I just had that DVR list ready to go. Now, because I have to pick what I'm going to watch and I have to be purposeful, like I have to decide, like, I'm going to sit down and watch this show. It's just I, – I watch – so much less television like maybe an hour a week perhaps two on a really heavy week and I feel like that's the same because I can't do it mindlessly 
and on both Twitter and Facebook, but particularly Twitter as far as like articles and just content taking in, like I, I, can't, I can't pick up, pick it up and do something mindless. And I felt that urge. It's I still have it because I still pick up my phone and I'm like, I want to play on my phone right now, but I don't really, <laughs> I check our mentions, but I've read them. And then I'm like, well, I don't have anything else to do. And so I, I still feel that desire and with Facebook and Twitter, like I can just feel so much time checking the moments, checking certain hashtags and waste it. Like just have an hour or so where I'm like, this is not how I wanted to unwind. This is not what I wanted to do. Since I've like really scaled back my usage and even over the past Lent, I've, I'm a pretty prolific reader anyway, but I've just read even more. I'm reading like two to three books a week. And I just, I don't, because I don't want to spend my time on sort of what with the algorithms as defined by other people think is like a cool read or a cool moment. I want to decide for myself what I want to read or what I want to learn about or what ideas I want to think about. And it's so easier. It's much easier to do that when the algorithms are not playing that such a, such a role in my life. I should also say that I have an app on my phone called realize ID previously that would track your phone usage. Before I deleted the apps off my phone, I was on my phone approximately four to four and a half hours a day. And now it's about an hour to an hour and a half a day. And I just, you know, I just looked at those numbers and I thought, like, I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to spend four hours of my day on my phone checking Twitter, checking Facebook, checking Instagram. I just don't. And I, but I still even like, you know, it's been several weeks and I still find that drive in my brain to just pick it up, pick it up, check it, check it. Like, this is a good moment to just check your phone, check your phone, check your phone and be mindless. I don't, it, I think it's honestly like that, that reward pleasure, that reward center in my brain has learned, like randomly something really great will ha- happen if you pick up your phone. So pick up your phone, pick up your phone, pick up your phone. I understand smoking better because of social media. Word. Having never smoked, I think I understand why people smoke because I think mm-hmm. I use social media the same way. I also have realized that my phone usage and just generally that sense of I want something mindless has decreased so much because we're doing the year without shopping. Mm -hmm. And it really came around for me this weekend. I had a moment of weakness and I thought maybe I need a new Easter dress. So I do. (laughs) So I get online and I start thinking about an Easter dress and my brain has not turned to mush like it did for 30, 45 minutes this weekend in a very long time. And it was yep. just that scrolling, 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 looking, endless scrolling yeah. after this store, then that one. I don't know what is so pleasurable about that exercise, but I could feel myself just dissolving and then dissolving in a way that I hated. I realized people were speaking to me and I was not paying attention. I realized that my kids left the room. I didn't know where they had gone. And it was such a wake up call for me that I used to do this a lot. Okay. Mm -hmm. I haven't done it in a while. Maybe it's like when you go off sugar and then you have something with a lot of sugar and you're like, whoa, look at what that does to my body. That's how I experienced online shopping this weekend after not having done it for a while. And it reminded me that I do want to make more conscious decisions. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it is not where I want to be most of the time. And it very quickly takes me out of the present. And I know that sounds very woo-woo, but it does. I'm trying to think through what I'm what I need when I'm checking my phone. Because I think any sort of behavior 
no matter how sort of quote unquote bad, there's that moral judgment again, we as- assign to it, eating sugar, checking Facebook, online shopping, smoking, whatever. It's because you we need a need. We're, we need something, a need fulfilled, right? Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I do really, my brain is a very intense place. This should come as no surprise to our, our uh, longtime listeners. And I need a way to just turn it off. I need a way to give my brain a break. And reading as much as I love it doesn't really do that because I don't read fluff. I either read very intense literary fiction or I read nonfiction that's like about super important ideas in that. And that's that's my fault. Maybe I should just take in some more fluff. But the need I have to sort of turn my brain, it doesn't happen when I'm checking Facebook or Twitter because I feel my brain like it's not quite scratching the itch. You know what I mean? So when I first gave up Facebook for Lent, I was doing a lot of like coloring and I was trying to watch a little bit more television at night, something that was really, I was doing crossword puzzles on the New York Times, just something that was like, it wasn't an achievement for achievement. I wasn't searching for something. I wasn't trying to finish something. I wasn't trying to complete something for something. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't striving. I was either just coloring while I talked to my husband or I was doing a, taking a moment to do a crossword puzzle that was totally pointless or I was knitting. I was just trying to find some ways to, to scratch that itch of like, yeah, I just need to relax and I need my brain to take a rest and to just kind of, that's not sleep. Meditating has helped a lot, but still that just feels so achievement oriented in a way. And it's really, it's a really sort of hard thing to find, I think. I think there's another need that was both exploited by and has become kind of a feedback loop with social media. And that is the need for validation. I think we had that as adults pre-social media. Social media filled that void for us a little bit. You know, we don't get much validation as adults. Your kids don't say, you're doing a heck of a job, mommy. And your employer doesn't usually do enough to say, well done. When you're an entrepreneur, you have almost no feedback except for the occasional customer. But most customers don't take time to say, hey, great work. So all of us have this hole where we wish somebody would just say, you're doing well in life. And social media gave us a a really cheap substitute for true, helpful feedback. Mm -hmm. And I think that we pick up our phones often seeking out validation. Someone needs me, so they sent me an email. My photograph was cute, which indicates that my life must be going well. And lots of people clicked on it and said so. That's a really complicated thing to disengage from. And again, I don't think that that's wrong, but I think what makes it problematic is not being able to name it Mm. and not recognizing that I'm going to this source for a gold star. And that source is increasingly getting smarter about ways to hook me on the little bit of pleasure that lights up in my brain when I get that gold star. And I that's really hard. That's hard. So just to expand on my previous pleasure reward, for those of you who don't know, there's a really famous science experiment in which they gave um, mice a lever that released basically a treat. And so one group of mice got the treat every time they passed the lever, and then one group of mice got the treat randomly as they pressed the lever. And not surprisingly, the mice that got it randomly became obsessive about pressing the lever. And that's what they sort of compare to, particularly email or Facebook. It's like not every time is a great moment of like, yes, that was awesome. 
but they're just random enough that you start obsessively checking them over and over and over again for that time that it is really great and it is really pleasurable. It reminds me, I just went to this little stress seminar through the city of Paducah and they showed that the angry iceberg and they showed an iceberg with anger coming out the top of the water and then below the water was all these different emotions, shame, guilt, fatigue, frustration, and that anger was really just the tip of it, right? That's what surfaces, but really there's all this stuff going on underneath. Griffin's counselor had recommended to him, my son um, is going to a psychologist, not for any big reason, just because I think people should go to psychologists and get checkups. And so she was recommending, like, if you get really angry to, like, think where you feel it in the body. And I thought that was such a good sort of awareness exercise. And it occurs to me that social media usage is the same thing, right? It's the tip of the iceberg. We're checking our phones because there's probably a lot going on underneath the surface. And that may be I think for me, if I could check in and think, okay, wait, what's going on right now? Why am I reaching for my phone? What am I feeling? Maybe that would be helpful and instructive, you know? I think it would be. I think bringing a level of consciousness to what we're doing makes all the difference in the world, which a little side note here, I wanted to tell you about my Lenten practice as well. So I decided to give up complaining as much as possible. And we decided as a family to give up complaining for Lent. And we put a little jar on our dining room table that says no complaints during Lent. And we put money in the jar when we complain. But like how much money? Like it depends on the level of the complaint. We don't have a strict Oof. system. I just pick up change usually. And like when Jane has had really complaining days, she on her own initiative has like gone into her cash register and gotten out like fake dollar bills to put in because yeah. she recognizes that she's taken it to a very complainy place. So we haven't been perfect with this and we haven't been rigid about it, but it's been a really nice reminder. And I think that the brain training I have learned from doing this is really applicable to social media because I have found that the antidote to complaining is gratitude, right? So Mm -hmm. if I wake up in the morning and I start to have complaining thoughts, oh my gosh, I have so much to do today. I immediately have taught myself to turn that into, I'm so thankful for all the interesting work I have to do. And if I think gosh, my back hurts or something. I'll think, I'm so thankful that I know a yoga pose to help with that. I'm so thankful for the how good this water in the shower feels right now. And it's, that's not any kind of magic. That is training. That is training the way you train your pet. And I have been realizing that it's been so easy to train my brain out of complaining mode and into gratitude mode. And that is why social media works, because our brains are so responsive to training. And so I think that if we could just be cognizant of what we're being trained to do by all of our social media platforms, we could give our brains the tools ourselves to push back against that so that we calibrate our use to the level that we want it to be. So on our other podcast, Fancy Politics, yesterday we had an extensive conversation about the political policy implications of the Cambridge Analytical and Facebook scandal that's sort of all over the news right now. And I think that for me personally, the reason I made changes is that I just didn't. I didn't. I couldn't be conscious of the implications of all this usage in my life or in my country's existence or in the world because I don't think anybody fully understands. And that makes me deeply uncomfortable. I think that we have sort of struck this bargain with the internet that the data on which is sort of the currency that we're all giving to these platforms for use of these services. And I think for a while I told myself that that was a cool exchange, that I was fine with them taking my data so that they could sell me products. And as I realized that I'm not cool with them taking my data and changing the way my brain works. 
and I'm not cool with them taking my data and using that information to sell me political ideologies or candidates or any other global issues with big repercussions. And then I just wasn't ready to give them my data and to use these platforms, which I very much love and I do think bring positive things to my life in exchange for my privacy and my attention and the the very precious minutes that I have on my very few trips around the sun. It just makes me deeply uncomfortable. And the more I think about it, the more uncomfortable I get. And I wish that there was a way, there's a streak in me, the, the activist streak in me that really just wants to go off the grid. I know that's not realistic, but, you know, I wish that there was, there was a way that I could just sort of perform this inventory on all the technology in my life and be like, wait, should I go back to analog on this? What about analog on this? And I, I try to think through that. And so this Linton practice was one way for me to be like, but do I need this to exist? And the answer is no, of course I don't. Now, I don't have any plans to delete my Facebook. Uh, for better or for worse, it keeps me connected to some very important people in my life. But I have really, really taken stock of my usage, and I will not go back to using Facebook every day, even if I post a photo. It was an intense exercise, but I'm so, so glad I did it. So I have been thinking about how to deal with social media in moderation because I don't want to opt out of it. I think about the things that I wasn't aware of in pop culture as a kid and how much I felt left behind, you know, when Mm -hmm. I couldn't participate in conversations about pop culture. I think about that a lot as a parent now. There are so many things that, you know, just songs and stuff that Jane loves that I don't like at all. And I think about that balance between allowing her to be part of her culture and her generation versus culling out what I don't like. And I think it's a hard balance. And that's how I feel about social media for me. I don't think it's going away. I don't think that I can fully participate um, in the in the world as I need to, to do our podcast well, and as I want to, to be kind of informed about where the people in my life are without these tools. I do want to go back to thinking about them as tools, though. And really be careful about how I use them. This is what I've decided. If you want to like rise to the top of any profession, the best thing you can do is have tools and not use them. Mm. Really wise doctors can fix things and are able to say, but maybe we shouldn't because of these reasons, right? Because of these long-term effects or because of these side effects. Really good lawyers can tell you, here are all the options available to you in court. And here's why you probably don't want to go down that road. Mm, That's so true. And so I think to myself, as a human being who has all these tools available to me on social media, isn't the best thing I can do to keep them here and hold them and just choose really carefully how I use them and mostly don't use them? Well, if you have your own tools, approaches, strategies for how to use social media in your life, we are all ears and we would love to hear from this community by and large through social media (laughs) about your strategies and how you make sure. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, a positive influence in your life instead of a constant distraction. We are going to end today with a poem that Lisa shared with us called To the Indifferent Women. It was written by Charlotte Anna Perkins Gilman, a feminist who lived from 1860 to 1935. You who are happy in a thousand homes or overworked therein to a dumb peace, whose souls are wholly centered in the life of that small group you personally love, Who told you that you need not know or care about the sin and sorrow of the world? 
Do you believe the sorrow of the world does not concern you in your little homes, that you are licensed to avoid the care and toil for human progress, human peace, and the enlargement of our power of love until it covers every field of life? The one first duty of all human life is to promote the progress of the world in righteousness, in wisdom, truth, and love, and you ignore it, hidden in your homes, content to keep them in uncertain peace, content to leave all else without your care. Yet you are mothers, and a mother's care is the first step toward friendly human life, life where all nations in untroubled peace unite to raise the standard of the world and make the happiness we seek in homes spread everywhere in strong and fruitful love. You are content to keep that mighty love in its first steps forever, the crude care of animals for mate and young and homes instead of pouring it abroad in life, its mighty current feeding all the world till every human child can grow in peace. You cannot keep your small domestic peace, your little pool of undeveloped love, while the neglected, starved, unmothered world struggles and fights for lack of mother's care, and its temptuous, bitter, broken life beats in upon you in your selfish homes. We all may have our homes in joy and peace where woman's life and its rich power of love is joined with man's to care for all the world. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Nuanced Life. You can check out our other podcast, Paint Soup Politics, on Friday where we'll have a new episode. And until then, keep it nuanced, y'all. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.